You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am so excited today. I have my friend, Hillary Sadler, also known as the Baby Settler. Um, she is a nurse, has been a labor and delivery nurse, and I'm going to let you tell her, t- I'm going to let her tell you all about all of her qualifications and everything, but um, I, I'm just so excited because Hillary called me, gosh, I don't even know, a long time ago and was just like, how do I do this? Can you help? Is this a good idea? And I, I don't know. I guess I was helpful because you are crushing it. How are you? Good. You are absolutely helpful for sure. It's been, um, as you know, like everything being a nurse and then coming into the social media world is, um, a learning, a learning experience, but I feel like there's a much needed, um, you know, we, people need to hear our, thoughts and the evidence-based information, um, trying to be louder there, but yeah, so I, um, am, I have my master's degree, um, in nursing leadership and management, and then I am a registered nurse, um, and I have my IBCLC, which is internationally board certified lactation consultant, um, and I have a specialty certification in obstetrics, so kind of all the things that you just mentioned, so like, if you're having a baby, like, you know what you're talking about, basically, is what we're saying. <laughs> I love it. I hope so. So how did you decide? Or I know. Go ahead. I was going to say, or I know where to point you in the right direction. If I yeah. don't know the answer. That's my whole thing. That, that's what I feel like. That's what I do all day long is I'm like, yeah, I don't know, but this person yeah. does. Yes. I don't know, but trust yes. this person. Like, here's her, here's where you yes. need to go. Um, cause we just yes. can't know all the things. Okay. How did you yeah. decide to even start, um, your account and you've now written a book, which we'll get into that later, but how did you decide to start baby settler? So I started baby settler as my thought was, it's just going to be like in-home consults in the Charleston, uh-huh. South Carolina area, helping there's this huge gap between, you know, you're pregnant, you see your OB provider, pretty much every week in that last month or so you have your baby in the hospital or birth center or wherever you have your baby and then you're discharged and then you end up seeing your pediatrician a couple times um you know in that first month or two but then it's kind of like you're left to figure it out on your own and there was just really I think that's what I talked to you about Claire is that huge gap in education and support for parents in those first couple months after birth and then also there's always been this emphasis on feeding and lactation or people are helping with baby sleep. So never the two together. Um, and I was just super disappointed with the resources that were currently out there for parents. Um, and so that is baby settler was born. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's so helpful because I was looking at Shane, you're right. There are there are resources on sleep or resources for pregnancy or resources for feeding. But if if there's like a comprehensive guide, I I don't really know of it. And I certainly didn't have it, um, you know, for either of my two kids. So I think it's, I think it's great. You're kind of turning to all like eight different sources at once. I feel like is yeah. Navigate everything. Yeah. 
Um, so what, what do you feel like is one of the biggest things that you work on with people? So I feel like I am heavily focused on mom's mental health and how it relates to feeding and sleep. Um, I think that, you know, I've talked about it a little bit in my stories. I like to get on my story. I don't, I don't like confrontation. (laughs) I like to kind of stay very, um, you know, supportive, but I have in the past been super disappointed with a lot of the lactation consultants that are on social media and making it seem like, you're either making a, that if you want to sleep, then you're potentially being selfish. It's sort of how I perceive a lot of the information out there. Um, So I don't know. And the moms that I work with, I feel like they're seeing it as well, that there's not um, a lot of support for breastfeeding and or pumping moms or even parents in general um, with feeding and sleep and really helping them figure out how to meet their specific feeding goals, um, and also get sleep. So when I'm helping people in my online courses or in my book, or when I'm doing consults in the Charleston, South Carolina area, we are always talking about sleep and how it relates to feeding and kind of what, um, what, what the mom or the parent's feeding goal is, um, and what their sleep goal is and having realistic expectations. I mean, obviously a baby that's two weeks old is not going to be sleeping through the night. Right. Um, they but that is, I always, no, no. I mean, that's having realistic expectations is yeah. very important, but yeah. also having the, the information on how to kind of set your baby up to sleep is important too. And so, okay, if, if a mom comes to you and they're like, you know, I, we want to do moms on call or we want to do baby wise, do you, how, how do you kind of incorporate that? Cause those can be really hard. Those programs can be really hard and they can be really discouraging. Now they can be incredible, but they can also be, I think really yeah. discouraging. Um, but it, it's hard. So I'm, and I'm in the camp like we did baby wise, which I know a lot of people are like, Oh my God, it's cruel. You're like killing your child and you la la la. But like, I <laughs> your oh, girl survived. <laughs> right. Like somehow they lived and I thought it was awesome. Um, but yeah. So how do you approach kind of those programs? Cause I, I would think there are a lot of people who use them. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I never, if I have a mom that's coming to me for a lactation specific need. Right. Um, I don't push my methods, recommendations or anything on them. So if uh-huh. they ask for help with sleep, then we kind of talk about that, but mom's on call and baby wise. So I think the biggest thing about both of those books is that they don't have, they're not written by the perspective of a lactation consultant who has right. the specialized, um, training and experience and expertise in how lactation for the mom and feedings relate to sleep for the baby. And so I, the, the reason that I wrote my book was because I kept having these breastfeeding moms say to me, Hey, what book do you recommend for sleep and routines and schedules? And that mom, her intention was she wanted to exclusively breastfeed, but she also wanted to establish this routine, which is totally me. I am kids thrive on routine. I'm all about routine. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the books out there are really missing key details about how to do that related to breastfeeding. Um, and even bottle feeding, like just really following 
that infant driven feeding, which in the last five years has gotten a lot of um, from medical providers and working in the NICU with the interdisciplinary care team, we really see how beneficial infant driven feeding is to not only breastfed babies, but also bottle feeding babies. Okay. And those two books, while they provide lots of helpful information, they're a little bit outdated currently, not to say they're not going to come up with some updates, but they're just not really, if we're looking at the last five years, they don't have the current evidence-based research practice that goes into those, um, sort of their programs. Yeah, no, I agree. Even with, um, baby wise that I loved, I remember at one point I like, I was reading something that I was like, wait, but what if if they don't do this? Like, cause you, it's very specific (laughs) instructions. I was like, what happens if they don't? And, and let me tell you something, like you want breastfeeding advice, bless it. If you're now, I'm not, I hate to stereotype and put, I don't want to lump everyone into the same category. But pediatricians are not it. Like they're not typically, I mean, there may be some that are, I I know um, actually Mona, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember her last name right now, but Peds Doc Talk. She is getting her IBCLC. CLC, yep. Which I think is incredible because you would think, and and OBs aren't really it either. Like unless you have mastitis and I I just remember being like, well, who the F am I supposed to ask? And it's lactation treatments yeah. are hard, like, because then once you get out of the hospital, like, say you're two to three weeks in, that may not be a resource for you anymore. And then you're looking at, you got to pay somebody and it's hard. I mean, not everybody can do that. Most people probably cannot do that. Um, so you're really just yeah. like floating out in this weird ether. Well, and I think, you know, with the Affordable Care Act um, that was passed, so a lot of people don't know this, but lactation consults, unless you have, are on a grandfathered plan, which there aren't that many grandfather plans, okay. your insurance company has to cover lactation consults. Really? No, um, and people so, do not yes. know that. that yeah, and they don't know that. Be- they don't like, know that because the insurance companies don't right, advertise that. Right. Yeah, and then if you're calling, they're going to make you jump through hoops and try to make it so difficult to get the coverage that then you'll just throw in the towel and say, I'm just going to pay for this out of pocket because otherwise you're on the phone, you know, crying. I mean, I went through it. Like you're on the phone, like crying, trying to figure out. Um, So I do think that's important that people know that your insurance, unless it's a grandfathered plan, um, it has to cover lactation consults. Um, And because the pediatricians and the, the OB providers, not it's not even just that even if they did have all of the extra training they don't have time to focus on lactation yeah um they just don't because yeah. they're seeing patients i mean my mom is a nurse practitioner that works um in an ob office and she yes, does routine her. she's week. lovely yes she does those two-week routine postpartum visits and she can answer quick questions. Um, but at the end right. of the day, she's seeing patients every 20 minutes. When I see a patient for a consult, the shortest consult I've ever had is 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's just, you know, they just don't have a lot of time. But also there is oftentimes information given by pediatricians, which if they don't have that specialized knowledge, may not be the most accurate or helpful information. You know, and I, I'll say my one time my friend made fun of me first because I talked, she was like, you've mentioned your dad and your brother being pediatricians like 8,000 times. And I was like, well, sometimes it's relevant, but they, they are <laughs> pediatricians. And like, my dad was around for both of my babies and God bless it. Dad, love you. I know he listens faithfully. Thank you. But like, that ain't his thing. He, they don't know. They don't know. Yeah. 
So it's just such a weird thing. And it's, it's so important. And I I will say this too, like labor schmaber, do it all. I could do that a hundred times again. Mm -hmm. Breastfeeding was literally the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. And I don't know who teaches lactation consultants to tell you that it's not going to be painful because that is a farce. Like the first two weeks, it feels like (laughs) daggers in your nips. And every time my baby would latch, especially my first one, I started, I was realizing I was having what were like little mini panic attacks, like throughout my day. And I I ended up talking to my friend who was a counselor and just was like, she was like, let's like break it down. And it was literally around feeding time. I would, I didn't even realize my brain could not even connect that because I, I knew this is about to be such an anxiety producing event. It's going to be painful. Like, and it's critically important because I'm feeding my child. Right. And I, I, it was like, so enlightening to me, like, oh my gosh, I'm literally panicking, almost panicking every time I have to feed my child. But even just acknowledging that like, that's what it was, was super helpful. And then I could be like, okay, every time it's been okay. Like every time somehow you have figured it out, but anyway. So if you've been following DabbleCo and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. Well, I think two things to say with sharing your story that a lot of women can probably relate to that. And just knowing if you're currently pregnant, you know, that it's really helpful to have that support after delivery. Um, but not all lactation consultants are the same. So if you had right. a bad experience with one, find a different one that you connect with. Um, cause it is really, and, and also as a lactation consultant, yes, you know, we're supposed, it's our, we should be helping support moms to meet their breastfeeding goals, which that is always my goal, but you have to look at the whole picture. And the question I always ask the parents that I'm working with and moms is what is your ideal feeding goal? And it can change daily. Like you can tell me one tomorrow and it could change, you know, today and tomorrow it could change kind of staying present in the moment. And then also knowing that like, if anxiety is taking the joy out of breastfeeding and pumping, then we got to figure out plan B. Like it doesn't have to, it needs to work for mom and baby. It's not just, and I have three kids. I mean, I love my kids and obviously I want to do what's best for them, but a mom who is, you know, struggling and anxious and, and not enjoying breastfeeding, it's not best for her child, for her to continue to, to do something that's really affect potentially affecting her more long-term. Totally. No, I love that you said that. If it's, if it, I think we have got to start, I mean, I know people are trying, but I, I, the message is not loud enough. 
if it's not good mm-hmm. for the mom, it is not good for the baby. Period. End right. of story. There's no other like. There's no other side to that. If it's not good for mom, it's not right. good for the baby. Like the end. Totally agree. It's, yep. It's totally hard. agree with that. And, and- mental health. I feel like, you know, people get so panicked about their medicine and all, you know, should I take it? And this is like, listen, if it, if you get off your medicine or whatever it is, that's not good for baby. That's not good for you. I mean, that's not good for you. Then that's not good for the baby. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important for healthcare providers who are working with mothers, um, to remember that. And, and also like for pediatricians, you know, cause I think there is this it's getting better, but there's still this push for, I mean, I can't tell you how many times a week a mom asks me, how long should I breastfeed for? And it's like, it's not, I I should not be giving her a set date. Like I can give her information like, you know, your baby in the first two months, you know, they're not going to get their, their really vaccines until they're two months old. You know, we can, we can talk about the statistics and I can give her information, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it's not about how long should Should. breastfeed for. It's about how long is it as long as it works for both you and the baby, that's how long you should do it. Um, and when it no longer does, then that's when we figure out the next, the next plan. And when, so when do you counsel people to, to let it go? You know, like, when do you say, Hey, like I'm giving you the freedom, like you, this is not good. Like you got to stop. Yeah. So obviously I'm not going to tell you specifically about the consult that I just just did, but I had a mom. Yeah. Like I just had a mom in my office who, I'm the fourth lactation consult that she has seen. Her baby will be two weeks old tomorrow. Um, And she just left my office and said, this feels so much better. Like, it's not that we had a set plan when she left. Um, We had a flexible plan. And then we also considered her mental health and how she's feeling. Like, I feel like a lot of my job is to be an active listener. And, you know, there are definitely things that are red flags to me where I will be like, okay, I want you to take a break, you know, but really it's about listening to the mom. And, And a lot of times if you feel heard and you know that somebody kind of understands where you're at and knows that a flexible plan is where we're at and they don't feel pressured into doing this and this and this, um, then, you know, it's not necessarily, um, I feel like it's a very, it's very much us making a plan together. It's not me making a plan for you and saying, you need to follow this plan. It's us considering where you're at, what your goals are, you know, let's get you some sleep because if you can get a four to five hour. So in my, in my consults that I do with my mom, I always ask her, do you want me to map out a plan to get you a four to five hour stretch of sleep? And I, I mean, I've had maybe one mom say, no, I'm okay. Um, and then she emailed me a week later and was like, okay, I'm ready for that just, plan. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. You can yeah, only do that kidding. for so long. And then um, you know what, actually, I, yeah. I might die. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if we can get you a good four to five hour stretch of sleep and protect your supply and get your baby fed and kind of do all these things, then your perspective is going to be a lot different. And it's going to give you the chance to make a decision mm-hmm. based on thought and not emotion and not exhaustion. And, and that decision may still be, I'm going to discontinue breastfeeding, but it may not, not be, you know, it may be that I'm going to, okay, I'm feeling okay. I'm going to keep kind of going down this road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, okay. What I, let's go to your L and D L and D experience. Cause I think people want to hear about 
labor and giving birth and birth plans and all of that. So what do you, what, what do you do when somebody comes in with like a super detailed birth plan? Are you like, Oh God. No, I, I was always, again, it goes back to that active listening. Like I feel like the people that come in with the super detailed birth plan are, have been told, like have been told that they that the nurse is going to make them do something or the doctor's not going to follow their plan or, you know what I mean? Like they kind of come into it with this expectation that they're going to have to really stand up for what they want. And, you know, I've only ever worked in one hospital in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. So I can't really say exactly (laughs) what, what happens at a lot of other hospitals, but I know for us personally, um, hearing their plan again, Mm -hmm. being an active listener, but also sharing information. So one time, I had a patient come in who was coming in to be induced. Um, She was not currently in labor and she gave me her birth plan and I was admitting her because she, you know, she got there at six 30 in the morning. So the OB had not come in yet and she was there to be induced, but her birth plan said she didn't want an IV. She didn't want her water broken and she didn't want Pitocin. Okay. Um, And so, you know, walking in the hospital does not put you into labor. So you have to have contractions to have a baby. Um, And so there just was a lot of, I think, education and giving them the ultimate, you know, giving them the information, waiting for the OB provider to come and then having them feel empowered to make the best decision for them. That couple ended up deciding that they wanted the IV and they wanted the dosing because they wanted the baby. So, you know, um, but I've also... I've had two, two of my three children, I did unmedicated birth with, um, I, and it was honestly, you know what, the reason I did it with my second child is because my epidural experience was so bad with my first one that I was like scared to get an epidural. (laughs) People say that. And I'm like, I don't understand. I got an epidural and I thought it was the most magical thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure you had your babies at the hospital I worked at. I and our did. Anesthesiologists are shout out to and East they're Cooper. amazing. I lo- I was like, please don't make me. Yeah, leave. please don't make me leave. I love it here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's an amazing hospital, um, and our anesthesiologists are amazing. Yes. Um, I did not have my first baby there, um, and the okay. anesthesiologist was not amazing. Um, and I was seven centimeters dilated trying to get an epidural, and you know oh. ended up with multiple. It just was not a good. It was, it was not a good experience. Um, so the majority of the time epidurals are a piece of cake and the contractions you're having feel worse than the actual epidural. So, um, but I think for me, having had two babies unmedicated, I understand, you know, kind of what the process is. And so, and I understand how important it is to help moms feel like they have a say in, their care plan and they should. Um, but I think there's a fine line with making sure to give them the education and informed consent and really making sure that they understand the choices that they're making. Yeah. Um, I had an anesthesiologist. I know there was a, gosh, man, autism, um, is so scary for so many people and it's such a place of fear, but there was a a paper that came out oh, maybe a year or so ago that about epidurals and there was like a loose correlation. And so people just started like freaking out. And I'm sure you've heard people ask about this, but I had an anesthesiologist a couple of weeks ago. Um, sorry, it's 
thundering very loudly. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but anyway, so um, <laughs> I had an anesthesiologist uh, in a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Amita Kundra, and she, um, she, it, she explained that. And she, she just was like, you know, no, no, like there was never any causal link identified. It, it really like the study probably never should have been published. It was like very vague. Did it make sense anyway? So I'm, I'm sure you have to, to talk about that a lot. And, and it's unfortunate because I think at the end of the day, people just want to be doing what's best for their child. Um, yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of women think that getting the epidural is going to potentially slow labor down. Um, which, you know, when you get an epidural, you get a huge fluid bolus of fluid because you're, we don't want, when you're getting an epidural, you know, your blood vessels can dilate. We don't want your blood pressure to drop. Mm -hmm. Your uterus is a muscle. And so when we overload you with fluid to kind of help protect your blood pressure, yeah, maybe your contractions are going to space out a little bit for Uh that, you know, minimal amount of time. But if you are truly in labor, having an epidural is not going to make you go out of labor or really slow things down. And and in fact, a lot of women that I have labored with who were super tense and didn't want an epidural, but just, you know, were very tense through each contraction. They weren't dilating. They got their epidural, they relaxed and their baby was here like within an hour or two. So it's not, you know, I think if you go into the hospital and you're not having any contractions and you're not really in labor and you get an epidural at the start of your induction and you're not really moving around, then maybe that, that may slow things down just because you're not moving. But the actual epidural that I, I hate for women to, not get it because they're worried that, oh my gosh, it's going to make me, you know, not have my baby fast enough or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of having your baby fast enough, um, I think, you know, people are really fearful of C-sections too. And I, I think that that's part plays part of it and, yeah, um, or plays a part in it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, C- C-sections are hard, but it's all hard. It's like, there's no, the, yeah. the, there's no like, great way to have a baby where you're just, it's going to be easy for the most part that, that you can predict at least. I mean, sometimes it happens. Yeah. It's just so unpredictable. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Th- that is, that's true. You can have the best plan, but we don't have a crystal ball, you know, going in educated and feeling comfortable about the decisions you're making is really the best. I think the best way to be. So, um, I I put up a question box earlier on Instagram, um, and I was just kind of scrolling through to see what people kind of wanted to chat about. And, you know, what's interesting is a lot of people have asked about postpartum care and recovery, which is so interesting that like, again, there's just not a ton of information about that stuff. So let's talk about postpartum care and recovery a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think having a postpartum plan is super important, which I have a free download over on my website. um, That's the seven steps to kind of creating a postpartum plan. And it talks about what's super important with a postpartum plan. Um, And I think it's, it's one of those things where we, make a birth plan and then we sort of forget about mom. You After, know, yeah. We kind of yeah, we set up the nursery and then we really forget about um 
sort of the super important things. Um, so making sure that you have support in the postpartum period and also the right support. So having friends and family come over to your house every hour and want to hold the baby um, while you're trying to feed the baby or pump or if you're bottled, whatever. So that's not really super helpful. Stressful. No. And yeah. I don't, people don't no. realize that. And unless you've had a baby, so it's funny because somebody else just asked how to support their friends. And I'm like, don't just, don't just show up. Don't think they're going to be normal, especially if they're first baby. Like, don't just think I can like pop over. It can be, this seems silly, but like, it can be so stressful, particularly when you're nursing and you're like boobs are out and you're maybe bleeding. Maybe the thing is screaming. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's a, it's an F. So side note. Yes. Yeah. So glad Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not, not helpful. And I think, you know, making sleep a priority is really important. You mm -hmm. need to get sleep and having mm -hmm. a plan. Um, and you can, if you're breastfeeding, obviously you're not going to be getting, well, even if you're not breastfeeding, you're probably still not going to be getting, you know, your eight hours every night of uninterrupted sleep when you have a no newborn, but sleep is so important to mental health. So I think figuring out a plan for getting some sleep. Um, and what I did in the postpartum period too, is, and my, when we, when I, when we had our third child, my boys were on summer break, uh -huh. which I know sometimes we can't plan things, but I would not plan on having a child on summer break yeah. if you uh -huh. can plan it. <laughs> that was yeah. not fun. Um, but to kind of get through that, I had, um, thankfully I was, we were able to have a nanny come in even for like four hours a day, you know, so that I could yeah. nap while somebody was entertaining my other two. So, or if you have friends that can come over and watch the other two, that's super helpful. Yeah. Um, and I think food is important. You know, obviously I would not recommend dieting in the, you know, immediately postpartum, but mm -hmm. the food that you put in your body, if you eat junk, you're going to feel like junk. So just making sure that you're eating like good nutritious food, I think is super important. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> I think meals to people, well, this is just like a general life philosophy of mine. Like I, I think taking a meal to someone, whether you made it or not, I think taking a meal is like one of the biggest ways you can bless someone, what dropping it off, putting it on the front door. Um, you know, I would don't, I would say, don't take coffee seems helpful, but I might, they might not be drinking caffeine or they might, you should never know, but like everybody eats, everybody got to eat all day long every day. So I think taking a meal is so helpful um, and, and just so appreciated, particularly when somebody, when you just had your first baby, it is inexplicable how dumb you are. Like you literally might not be able to figure out how to create a bowl of cereal. You're, I mean, I felt like someone had put yes. me in a trash can and kicked me down the stairs and I had like a totally fine, normal, easy birth. I mean, I pushed like one time yeah. and I still was just yeah. like, what? Um, but so I think meals are crazy helpful. Um, and, and, and yeah, nutritious. I mean, just to get a salad in or like fiber. I mean, yeah. people bring yep. so many like casseroles and, and all this stuff, which is good. And it, it's nourishing mom in a way, cause you just need so many more calories, but sometimes you just want like a smoothie or a salad. And so, yeah, yes. I, no, I totally agree. Yeah. I think food's a huge part of it. It, it is. If you yeah. eat like crap, you're going to feel like crap. Um, but I also, yep. I love, um, with my second, I almost immediately started going to pelvic floor physical therapy. Yes. Yes. Delightful. Like love all my pelvic floor PTs. Um, 
I had problems with my sacroiliac joint. Um, it was so painful in my second pregnancy. It got to the point of where I was like, I actually don't think I can walk anymore. Um, so I had an injection, uh, which was amazing. But then, then after, yeah, maybe it was maybe three or four weeks after, uh, that I started going to pelvic floor PT. And I, I, it's so funny. Cause every time I talk about that on dabble, which hasn't been much recently, people are like, wait, this is a thing. And I'm like, yeah, I know it'd be standard. I'm- Listen, I was a labor and delivery nurse and I did not know or go to pelvic floor PT until after my third child, which was three years ago. Dang. I mean, and my mom works in women's health. Like what is wrong? How did I not know about this? (laughs) How are we missing this? It is a huge, I mean, yeah, it should be standard of care. I mean, absolutely. But you know, I think it's one of those things, again, as an OB provider, you just, you have all these things that you have to kind of assess and check off and maybe it doesn't, you know, it's just, it gets missed. You know, the information gets, if you're not asking for it, if you're not asking for what kind of support is there with this, then you might not get told about it. And I, yeah, I just think we don't even know. There's so much that you think is just totally normal and Perhaps for a small period of time, like a very small window post-birth. Yeah, I'm sure it is normal to just completely pee your pants. But like, yeah, after I've that, done it. Oh, to, oh, I were in the hospital. It was like day two or something. And I was like, wow, it, was that like a huge rush of blood? And then I was like, no, I just like fully peed the bed, like fully, like <laughs> full bladder and didn't even know, like literally did not even know what, no. oh, that's. I know. Like, what's that? But yeah, it's so there's a, I I don't know what the the specific period of time is where you would say, like, don't even try for probably maybe two weeks. But then after that, like, I think people just don't realize there's so much pain that's not normal. There's so much, um, Mm -hmm. you know, laxity and, you know, peeing your pants is not a normal thing. I love Meg Henderson. She's fourth, uh, what is she called? Fourth trimester. Yes. Fourth trimester. Yeah. She is my favorite. Um, yes. Pelvic she's, PT and trauma. She's great. Area. She's a treat. Yeah. And then, um, and Tracy, um, downtown. Oh my gosh. I can't think of her practice name right now. I'm sorry, Tracy. I'll put it in the show notes, but, um, so many great resources. And I love that Meg's like, peeing in your pants is not normal, like ever, even a little bit, you know? And so just, we need to go to this public floor PT. It's so, it's so helpful. It's relaxing. It's helpful. It helps get your, your core strength back, which helps with back pain, hip pain. I mean, literally everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. And it is, it's crazy that we, I mean, I didn't know about it until three years ago. Um, so another recommendation, this kind of is a good segue into that vitamin D, like what yeah. are your thoughts on vitamin? I'm like a big vitamin D person. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? For mom or baby after? For mom. So, you know, NUSC did a study pre COVID. Uh-huh. I think it paused during COVID times, but they were doing a study um, about, you know, if breastfeeding moms or pumping moms take mm-hmm. 6,400 units of vitamin right. D per day, then we don't actually need to do supplement. the vitamin D drop for it. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's, that's usually my recommendation. I, you know, I, with my first child, 
postpartum, he was a November baby. My second child was a November baby uh-huh. and I had significant postpartum depression and anxiety. Definitely after my first child was untreated. I don't feel like I came out of the fog for at least a year. Wow. Second child, I was more aware. I was a nurse at that time. And I ended up taking um, Zoloft for about a year afterwards to just sort of help. I mean, all those hormones, they're just crazy in the postpartum period. Totally. But then with my third child, she was a summer baby. And then also I had done a lot of, there's not really a bunch of concrete evidence, but there are some studies that link postpartum anxiety and depression to low vitamin D levels. Really? And a lot of, yeah. And a lot of moms, a lot of OB providers are starting to check mom's vitamin D level during pregnancy because it's also linked to preterm labor. And so I know, especially in our oh, area, um, yeah, Dr. Molly Joseph um, yeah. with Low Country OB, she, that's sort of her normal prenatal labs is checking vitamin D levels. Interesting. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm always for it because, you know, most pediatricians are going to recommend supplementing vitamin D, but also for moms specifically, I think it can be really helpful. Um, even, you know, right. even if there's not studies that say this absolutely treats, you know, postpartum, I'm not saying that, but sometimes even if you're just doing something and you feel like almost that placebo effect, like you feel like it's helping with something. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I will say like in general, I'm not a big supplement person unless it's for a specific okay. need with the exception almost a hundred percent of the time of vitamin D because there's very, there's very little that as Americans, we are actually deficient in, in in terms of vitamin. And that's because we have typically either well-rounded diet, or even if you're eating like a bunch of processed crap, like uh, it's all typically fortified, right? We live in America. So like everything we eat is typically fortified with anything that you might be deficient in. Um, so unless you're really, really significantly malnourished or or have a, like a kid, you know, I'm thinking of kids that may have issues, um, let's say with sensitivity or sensitivity, sensory issues where they're only eating specific types of food and like that, then it is, Mm -hmm. you know, you do have to worry a little bit about that, but um, and, and if you're totally vegan, like that's a different conversation because there's, you do need to supplement, but, um, I think so. So vitamin D is way more prevalent than any other vitamin deficiency in America. Um, and for the most part, there's not a ton of downside in supplementation. Now, if you're over supplementing, I mean, you can make yeah. kidney stones, you can kind of give yourself hyperparathyroidism, but you'd have to be really crushing the vitamin D. But yeah, I think, I think in general, um, when I, I mean, I, I typically recommend two to 5,000 units a day because a lot of us are deficient mm-hmm. and spending your, people are like, Oh, 10 or 15 minutes in the sun. Like, no, that's not, it's not the same. Um, it, it's just not the same. So yeah, I love, I love vitamin D, um, for that. And, uh, you know, your regular prenatals, but yeah, I, I didn't even, I forgot about that study MUSC did that that's a little bit of a larger dose. Um, and so I would want to make sure. Yeah. I think it was the 6,400 units. Yeah. Um, Which is not a look up. Like I said, no, usually a prenatal, your prenatal vitamin usually has four or 500 units in it. So then like me personally, I always took a 5,000. Which is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're taking just a regular prenatal and you're not taking an additional vitamin D. So, so most, almost all multivitamins have like a little bit of vitamin D, but it's really not enough Mm -hmm. to be, to be supplementing. And, you know, I mean, just still, God, somehow we're still in COVID land, but, um, 
I mean, vitamin I D is just and really gonna... helpful in your immune function and, yeah. um, you know, anytime you're de- deficient in anything, but that is one of the few things that, that Americans can really be fully deficient. In. And uh, talking about postpartum depression and, and everything that it's helpful with, well, if you're really vitamin D deficient, you feel like exhausted. You feel like crap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's always a good idea. And especially if you have had it checked and it's low, then heck yeah. And there's a, yeah, if you've had it checked and it's really low, there's a prescription level that they we would typically put you on for a few weeks anyway, to kind of, to kind of jump it back, back up. up. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hillary, where can people find you and where can people find your book? So I am on at baby settler on Instagram and I okay. try to jump in my stories every day. And I, you know, I, education, being a nurse education is, I love doing it. Um, so I try to give a lot of information on Instagram, but my book is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's called baby settler. It's not just about sleep. Um, and I really, it's a book that helps parents understand how feeding affects sleep and how sleep affects feeding. Okay. So um, that sounds like a lot, but it's about, I've had it reviewed by lots of pediatricians, lots of um, OBGYNs, nurse practitioners, um, and they have all, their their thoughts are that it's a very easily read book. It's my yeah. mom said, I read your book in two hours. I'm like, well, great. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's good so, when you're really loving something and it should be yeah. easy to read and easy to digest. Right. So I yeah. love that. Yep. So, and it, it does have in the back of it. I do have, a, I know a lot of moms are really looking for that schedule. Um, but I call it a routine. So it's definitely a routine. It's more about yeah. the flow of events yeah. and less about the actual time. Um, but yeah, that's, it's on Amazon. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And guys, thank you for listening again. And as always, if you like the podcast and you want to hear well-qualified guests giving you evidence-based based information, please rate it, subscribe, share with your friends, share on social media, and I'll see you next week.